Back in the day, before personal computers and smart devices, before artificial intelligence and machine learning, customer satisfaction was measured by how well the store you frequented to knew your preferences and your personal moments. Fast forward to today, technology has matured to the point where a company knows sufficiently enough about you to the point where you feel like your privacy doesn't exist anymore. The combination of aggressive marketing in the form of notifications, text messages, emails, voicemails drives you to the brink of disconnecting yourself totally from what was once a favorite place to order gifts for others and yourself. Welcome to Death by Personalization. In today's podcast for Future CIO, we are joined by Matt Johnson, Managing Director for Data and AI at Timas, to talk to us about personalization, how it has failed, and why we may want to consider hyper-personalization. Matt, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Hey, Alan. Thanks very much uh, for inviting me to the podcast, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. It's great to be with you. That word, hyper-personalization, what exactly does it mean? And how different is it from personalization? Uh, Alan, it's a great question. Look, I I think there's no great and and, and firm divide between the two. I think it's more a matter of degree, which is that classically in marketing, we might personalize a communication by adding some small customization. For example, it might include the name of the recipient of the communication. I think increasingly, we're looking to be more personalized by adding additional knowledge of the recipient of the message in order to further customize. And I think the concept of hyper-personalization has obviously got a bit of a buzzword, it's a bit of a marketing, but it's ultimately a matter of degree, moving from something that's lightly personalized to something that perhaps is, is, is more personalized. Perhaps it could be the type of message, the channel of communication, the, the text that's used, maybe image that's used, the nature of the offer. Uh, all of these can further mold Uh, an offer or communication to a particular customer or user. So is it fair to say then that hyper-personalization is more related to an approach to communicate a message as opposed to a specific set of technologies, or is it both? I I think it's more an approach to business uh, or approach to interaction. So if we take uh, garments would be a good example, right? Um, The most effective and cost-effective way to make a garment is to make them in a set of standard sizes, mass produce them and do so at low cost. And for many years, that's exactly how we buy clothes, right? Because it's it's the most cost-effective way of doing it. Mass produce a small number of standard sizes. If you can afford it, obviously the best way to buy clothes is to have them custom made for you, measured to your exact sizes. Now, I I think the opportunity really of digitization and hyper-personalization is with digital technology, we're able to personally tailor a a solution to each individual user or customer. And I think it's the power of digital technology that allows us to create an increasingly personal uh, product or service or communication at an affordable cost in a way that manufacturing perhaps would have been cost prohibitive. And that's one of the opportunities that, that digital technologies give us. But ultimately, it's a business strategy, which is how uh, customized you want to be to your customers. And if you have the opportunity to do so, how can you delight them and better suit their needs by tuning the products with digital technologies? There are many vendors out there that offer personalization solution, and more likely there's going to be a similar number of organizations that will offer hyper-personalization solutions or approaches. Are all hyper-personalization solutions equal? Are all the approaches the same? 
Great question. Look, I, I think that's made up of, of multiple pieces. Perhaps I can answer them in pieces. So the, the first is a, a perhaps a technical question, which is, are all platforms that, that address hyper-personalization working in similar ways? Yes and no. Uh, yes, in the sense that ultimately they depend upon collecting uh, detailed information about customers and then applying that to customize the, the response. No, in the sense that some of the architectures between them is, is quite different in the capabilities. So some perhaps might depend upon slow moving batch data that's slowly changing. Uh, more advanced platforms perhaps would be able to personalize in a more active way. So I, I think different vendors obviously approach the solution with different technologies, many common threads, obviously, but, but some perhaps uh, better than others, depending obviously on, on the particular use case. So some, for example, might be multimodal. For example, if you're a traditional bank, you might have some customers who are very high value that you would interact through a relationship managers. You might also call them. You might also send them emails and SMSs. They might also use your digital app quite frequently. So you're communicating across multiple channels and you're trying to provide a consistent experience across those. Now, there are certain vendors that are very good at that. There are other vendors perhaps that are better at dealing with a purely digital interaction whereby they're just trying to optimize, for example, the banners on the page. So, so different vendors have their strengths, uh, but depending upon the types of interactions that you're trying to support, uh, the technologies may be a little bit different. Hyper-personalization, I guess, logically depends on data and the part of our discussions around data. I'm almost at the point where I believe that we are collectively as industries better at collecting data today, whether it's uh, structured or unstructured in almost any format that uh, is out there available. But have we improved it, how we use this data to achieve hyper-personalization? So I, I think it really depends. I think that capability is there. And if you look at one end in the digital space, be it, let's say, Meta as an example, or Google, the results that you get on each of their platforms are, are very, very personalized to you individually, not just to your demographics, but equally to things that you have demonstrated as your interest, whether this is, for example, a Spotify playlist. Very often those responses are customized to your individual listening preferences, where your feedback, where you print next, when you put the volume up, what you like, all fed into the algorithm to tune a, a customized response. I think those companies uh, do that very, very well. If you take more traditional organizations, perhaps with a focus towards, for example, banks and branches, there's an increasing digitization, but I think they're probably a little behind on the journey towards hyper-personalization. So I think it really depends upon which industry and which service. And there are obviously leaders and laggards in, in all industries. But I think clearly the, the pure digital plays have probably been the first to do this and probably the most advanced. But I think increasingly other institutions and, and organizations are starting to follow, but perhaps a few steps behind. If we were to look at this region, the Asia region where we are both, in terms of achieving the same outcomes as Meta and Google are able to, you mentioned that on average, probably we most of these enterprises are behind to a certain degree. What's causing this discrepancy, this gap between how these organizations in Asia are able to achieve some form of hyper-personalization relative to the likes of Google and Meta? 
I think that there are two components to this. I think the first, obviously, is as an innovator and as a pure play platform, they have been the first movers in this space. Not having a classical business or a classical way of working, this has been an area where this technology has blossomed in the sense they don't have a legacy that they need to carry. They have been employing some of the brightest software engineers that have been pushing this to its limit and have been a very competitive space. So I think you know those are all factors that have driven the those pure play digitals perhaps to lead in this space. I think that many other industries are following or fast followers. It's just that perhaps they started a little bit later and maybe their technologies are a couple of steps behind, but rapidly catching up. So I think that the concept of hyper-personalization, about understanding customers better and about delivering products that are customized is a product is a concept that's well understood, but clearly with perhaps technology a couple of steps behind and a start maybe a few years later, clearly it will take a little time to catch up. So I don't think there's any hard limit per se. It's more a matter of who were the earliest starters, who had the best technology, and perhaps who may be the followers, and consequently, you know, the time to catch up. So I don't think there's any fundamental gap. It's more a matter of degree and a matter of focus. Now, there's always this issue of privacy when it involves the use of data. Okay? And as I said in the introduction, at some point, some customers may feel that these aggressive marketing have reached the point where it feels like an invasion of my privacy. How do you ensure that any hyper-personalization strategy or program or initiative doesn't violate privacy laws that's a really important area. I think that the core of this is really around about consent and trust. And I think, you know, the digital industry overall has taken perhaps some missteps here. So if I take an example of browsers, there has been a setting on many browsers for a good number of years saying do not track. And up until a few years ago, and maybe even today in certain cases, there was a view that the data being given by browsers and cookies and third party cookies in particular were so valuable that people were willing to ignore the setting on the browser and simply take the data anywhere. Now, I think when the data is value valuable, as it is in the case of marketing data, there is a temptation to step beyond you know, a natural consent of users and to take the data anyway in order to monetize it. But ultimately, the backlash of this has been that the trust between the user and the taker of that information has been broken and people are now extremely suspicious and worried and rightly so. So I think the fundamental rule here is that you know we need to respect our customers and our users. We need to put the power in their hands to control their own data and they need to have confidence that data will be used in a responsible way and to their benefit. Maybe a good case in point, maybe something like a streaming media service or a streaming music service. If my preferences are being used used to customize the content for me, I know where the data is being used. I know how it's being collected. I have the ability to remove that information if I want to. And I'm confident that that data is not going to be shared with anybody else. And I know that that data is going to be used to benefit me as an individual to enhance my uh, listening experience. And ultimately, I'm going to be happy with that exchange. And I can speak from personal experience. If I log into YouTube and I've not logged in, I get a lot of videos that I have no interest in watching. So 
that a trade between the user of the information and the recipient of the service is, is critical, right? It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of ethics. And I think it's very important for people involved in this industry to respect that consent, that trust as central. And, and ultimately, when you respect that consent, you respect that level of trust, uh, then clearly you need to then run through the regulatory pieces. But I think the starting point is really about respect and about trust. If you really focused on making sure that you're doing things to the benefit and with the agreement of your users, you're likely to be spot on for compliance with GDPR because it's really about protecting the individual. And as long as you're focused on that, then the regulatory compliance is a relatively straightforward uh, thing to achieve. It's when you start to stray and do things without consent that I think you're going to find yourself in, in positions of difficulty. When you start using data in ways that perhaps the user would have not expected or not have consented to do, or perhaps start giving it to third parties that the user would not consent to. And all of these things are problematic and ultimately what data protection legislation is looking to protect individuals against. And, and if we start with good ethics, then we're, we're well along the path towards uh, you know, ensuring compliance. When an organization decides that they will implement some sort of hyper-personalization strategy or initiative, in order to ensure that, one, we maintain this level of trust that we have with our customers in terms of the database that we have, and also make sure that we comply with any regulations around the protection of that data, within the organization, who should be part of the team, if you will, that will make sure that we achieve all of our goals and at the same time ensure that we are compliant in terms of keeping and building this trust. Because if I remember correctly, within an organization, almost any large organization or even mid-sized organization, different people within the organization feel that they own a certain element of my data. For example, as a customer, part of my data, the finance side of my data, the transaction volume side, probably the finance team will consider they own it. Marketing team will also feel that they own it. The CIO, who's the custodian of one organization's data storage, and he might feel he also owns it. How do you get all of these different personas within an enterprise coming together and agreeing to fulfill a hyper-personalization initiative and doing it well. Yeah, I think this is a very important area and I'm, I'm glad you've brought it up. Data governance in the sense of who owns data, who is responsible for custody, how you manage access, how you manage usage and compliance with regulation, I think is a key challenge. There's no simple answer to the question you've asked other than a comprehensive process policy and governance structure. And certainly uh, big organizations uh, are very focused on this. I, I have personally been involved in earlier in my career in uh, setting up uh, governance uh, processes and policies uh, for a large bank. And it's certainly a large undertaking. It's not an easy thing. But what, what I can say is that you know, data is increasingly becoming one of the most valuable assets in the modern economy. And, and as a result, any asset can be used for good, it can be used for bad, just as any asset can. So clearly, the investments in managing this asset, in managing the ethics around the usage of the asset is critical. And there's no shortcut solution to, to your question, other than you know investing in ensuring that the governance structure, the ownership, the custodian are well marked out so that people understand it clearly and that the obligations for protection uh, of individual data are there. That There is no simple answer to your question other than uh, a need for organizations to invest, to be transparent, to understand, and ultimately to deliver you know, trustworthy custodianship of data to the users and customers. 
in all of this discussion that we've undertaken regarding hyper-personalization, uh, custodianship of data, and including building this trust, what is TMAS all about? Awesome question. Tumas is a company focused on delivering end-to-end transformation, leveraging digital technology. And uh, I am actually responsible for the AI and data uh, center of excellence. And our core mission is to unlock uh, the value of data with AI. We believe passionately that the data is a, uh, you know, a very valuable asset to, to organizations and to companies. And that in order to extract the value of, of, of data, we need the most powerful tools and the most powerful uh, tools for data right now or artificial intelligence. And we're focused on, on bringing these two together to deliver you know, unique value uh, to organizations. Matt, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you very much, Alan. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. That was Matt Johnson, Managing Director for Data and AI at Teamus on the topic of solving the death by personalization dilemma. You are listening in the podcast for future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. Bye for now.